welcome to another episode of Awaken Parenting. I'm your host, Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. You may remember a few weeks back, I had Jen Searson, a sleep and well-being specialist from Heartfelt Slumber, on the show to help me answer some questions I'd received from some moms struggling with sleep and bedtime routine challenges. I found Jen sharing very helpful, and so did the mothers who asked the questions. So if you're having issues with your little ones around getting to bed or staying in bed, then be sure to check it out at jillmcpherson.com or search Awaken Parenting on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. On today's episode, I have Jen back with me today, but this time the tables are turned. This time it was Jen who reached out to me to see if I could help address questions from her clients. The questions are around anger towards a partner when it comes to getting babies or children into bed, as well as anger around lack of sleep, particularly sleep inequity amongst two parents. If this is an area of concern or struggle that you and your partner can relate to, then you'll want to stay tuned and listen in to today's episode of Awaken Parenting. First of all, welcome back to the show, Jen. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to, you know, join you and chat all things parenting here because I think that they're so important and so valuable. Great. Now, as far as I can tell from what you shared with me so far, we're talking specifically about mothers having anger towards their partners or husbands around the things that are happening or not happening during the bedtime routine. Uh, throughout the night, and even right through to managing early morning uh, wake-up time. And uh, I believe this is a huge issue with couples, and I'm guessing most couples have a certain amount of struggle with these issues. Um, In fact, I had one uh, young mom reach out to me, Rebecca, who saw this post on Facebook, and uh, she reached out to share, "Um, I just saw your post about sleep and co-parenting. It's a tough one, uh, breastfeeding and wee Charlotte needing me through the night and not being interested in dad. Um, Not rage, but thinking it's unfair. Um, And she added a few ha-has through her message. Um, And I think a lot of women do this because they don't want to be mad, especially if they don't see there's any options. In this case, Rebecca is breastfeeding and the baby doesn't even really want dad in the night. So in this situation, I believe many moms don't want to be mad because they see there's no way out of it. Um, so they're trying to laugh it off or say they're, you know, they're not really that upset, but down deep, there can be significant anger. And if suppressed long enough, it can easily turn into feelings of rage. Um, I would say sleep and equity amongst two parents can be a huge trigger for conflict and can create huge tension in the relationship. And I know personally, I've heard some women report that they, you know, intentionally choose not to breastfeed so that dad has no excuse to not be involved in the feeding of the baby. Or some moms use a breast pump to build up a supply of milk in the freezer in order to have milk available for dad to, to bottle feed uh, the baby during, say, 2 a.m. feedings. So, so given all that, Jen, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Can you relate to this? Yes. So this is definitely something that comes up a lot in my practice when working with families, when we're talking about 
you know, sharing the load or creating that balance, sometimes we're asking, you know, parents to do these hard things and um, really channel into their own self and, and what they need to work through. And sometimes that's hard if you don't have another partner that you can rely on or you're feeling like you can rely on um, because of the circumstances. Um, and I know for myself that I was like really triggered by this topic actually and what led me to reaching out to you. Um, I know that it can be challenging in those nights when you are waking up and you are the only one kind of responding um, and feeling that resentment kind of build up over time really take a toll on your relationship and you know how you're feeling in terms of the night in general um and, and with that time with your baby too so I think it's definitely an important topic to talk about and to touch on and address um and I don't think that we need to you know ignore it and pretend like it's not happening it definitely is there and um I think it helps getting getting the word out and talking about it a little bit more and processing some of those things too, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. So why don't we just get right to the questions then? Um, so you said you've got a few there. So uh, let, let's hear your first one. Yeah, so the first one that I have is I get crabby when he starts to rowdy play before bed. He never has to deal with the repercussions of a baby that won't settle. I'm a stay-at-home mother, so I do all of the overnights during the week. Um, and so this mom is feeling this tension. You know, she's done all of this work kind of throughout the day to kind of make sure that their bedtime is lined up and everything is feeling okay. Maybe dad just gets home. Now they're having this rowdy kind of play and that's really hard for a mom. You can kind of feel the anxiety kind of spewing out there. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Jill? Yes, I, I can I can relate um, to some of this as well myself. Um, well, you know, definitely the, this whole topic I can uh, relate to uh, with four kids for sure. But as far as this specific question from mom about being concerned about rowdy play before bed, right off the bat for me, this is about a lack of communication that uh, needs to happen between both partners as far as what is going to be okay for, you know, just before bed, basically working out together. This is, you know, the routine. The other thing that comes up that's really important for moms to realize is that dads tend to interact and communicate with their children in a very different way than moms do. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's reasons behind that. There's sort of biological reasons behind that, right? Um, dads are important and, and have that instinctual need to, to kind of almost, I don't want to say necessarily toughen them up, but, but rough house and, and play with them in, in a rough way. Um, and, and there's a reason behind that. Um, and there's a reason why moms can cringe, whether it's just before bedtime or a mom can see, you know, dad being rough with kids uh, any time of the day. And some, you know, moms could find themselves triggered with that because we innately want to make sure our children are always safe and we can start to visualize, you know, the, the cut or the bruise or the, the trip to the ER room uh, because this, you know, rough play got too rough. Um, and so there's lots going on for, for mom here that she needs to recognize. First of all, you know, number one would be sitting down to communicate about how um, she desires bedtime to go. And then really also recognizing the needs that her husband might have in how he interacts and communicates with baby or with child. And if there can be a time sort of for that rowdy play, but enough time 
prior to like rowdy play, you know, can't happen right before bed. It's something that only happens during certain times of the day. And then, um, you know, how he chooses to be involved or how they work together for him to be involved in the evening. They really need to come up to uh, some agreement around how that's going to go. So I think that's the main point is just for mom to really recognize that there is a a purpose and a reason why um, her partner's doing rowdy play. Uh, It might be just about changing the time for it um, and really communicating about uh, how bedtime, you know, needs to go for both of them. So both their needs are met. So he can interact and play with his kids in a way, either at a different time or in a different way before bed. Having that level of communication kind of throughout your relationship, um, and especially when we have a child involved, right? Um, Because it does bring up different areas for each parent. Um, But just as a sleep coach kind of perspective that might help ease some of those um, anxieties that come around that um, is that actually rough and tumble play has this bad rep of kind of, you know, bringing this um, feelings of, of, you know, wanting to get away from the bedtime, but it actually helps our children wind down before bed. So I actually recommend it from most of my families to add some rough and tumble play or that, you know, um, those games kind of happening maybe before bath time or those kinds of things to help ease that transition into bedtime so that we've, you know, crossed off all of our boxes for the day, because maybe that is an outlet that might benefit the bedtime too. Wow. That, that's excellent. That I love that point that, um, you know, there's a, there's a need for it and that it's, uh, you know, maybe there has been this huge myth all along that, having sort of any rough play before bedtime isn't isn't good but you're saying instead of it being in opposition to getting to sleep it could actually facilitate sleep yeah and all of those connections that are being missed if you know our spouse is at work all day and now this is the way that they connect and this is their relationship and how they're going to connect the, or fill those boxes those the that jar or that bucket from the whole day is through that rough play um, it's not necessarily a negative thing Mm, right. So helping mom to perceive this in a different way um, would, would also be, be helpful. Okay, great. Let's move on. What's the next question? Yeah. So we have another question here saying, I want my spouse to help with nighttime support, but then I'm not sleeping, but rather listening to their every movement or what is happening in the room next to me. And I end up just waking up and dealing with it myself. Um, I get mad at my spouse for not knowing how to do it properly. And oh my gosh, Jill, I can relate to this so much. Like I would be awake listening to these cries. They would trigger me and I would just eventually storm in being like, let me just do this because now we're all awake and what's the point in us all being awake? And so there's that resentment built up too, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And the key word for me here is properly. That's that's a real trigger word um, because properly according to whom, right? And this is one of the challenges of co-parenting is really figuring out um, who's, whose rules or whose dance are we going by here. Um, and uh, I had the same situation. In fact, my husband would rarely ever get up for the same reason in that if anybody was awake, um, I would already be awake. Um, so it was sort of like, you know, fine, I'll, I'll take care of it. 
But having the mindset that your partner, you know, can't do it right or can't do it properly is setting you up for failure as far as wanting a co-parent to join you, join you in this, right? So really being aware that, you know, your partner inevitably will do things differently than you. There's no way, um, even if I came into your home to try to help out, uh, I wouldn't do it exactly the way you would do it either. So we really have to um, surrender this idea that our partner is going to do it our way and that our way is the right way. Um, we have a way and then and they have a way. And if you want them involved, you're going to need to surrender to a certain degree of how he does it, how he does his support. Now, you can communicate, this is what I have found that works. And you can say like, I find if you like hold him this way or you give her the soother or you put her, you know, lie her this way, um, you know, or avoid this or avoid that. Well, that's helpful because you've become the expert on this baby um, far quicker than he has if, if you've been home full time and he hasn't. Um, and so you can definitely give, you know, some tips. But if you come to an agreement that, you know, he's going to get up in the night um, to help out, then you need to surrender and let him do it and figure it out. And, and, um, and if it means, you know, you can decide, if I'm, am I going to lie here in bed awake um, and sort of stewing over, you know, hearing the baby cry and thinking he's doing it wrong, or am I going to, you know, get up and deal with it? But I would suggest if you really want him to be helping, then you're going to have to lie there in bed and take deep breaths and let him figure it out and let him, um, you know, learn how to do this and basically surrender. Um, I, I know my own personal example. I remember my first epiphany with this one was when our oldest was a newborn. It was on the weekend. And so, of course, I wanted my husband to be more involved because he wasn't at work and he agreed to do bath. Um, and then I came into the bedroom and he had uh, was putting on a, a diaper and then he started to put the sleeper on and he put the sleeper on. He started putting the arms in first. And right away, I was like, you can't do that because you then you'll never get the legs in the sleeper. And um, so I was, you know, kind of criticizing him and frustrated with him. And then he was, you know, doing the deep breaths and feeling, you know, criticized and, and hurt. Um, and, th and then I realized, like, I don't need to tell him this because he would have eventually figured that out. He would have been like, I can't get the legs in now. Um, and then known that from now on sleepers, I'm going to put the legs in first and then I'll put up around the shoulders and arms. Um, and so he didn't need me coming in sort of reporting these captain obvious moments uh, to him. He needed me to just surrender and, and remember the purpose of him being involved in the first place was so I could have a break, but I'm not having a break. If I'm standing over top of him, you know, correcting him, then what was the point of him helping in the first place? So I needed to leave the room and I needed to surrender and say, okay, I got to let him figure it out. I got to let him, you know, do it his way. And it may not be exactly how I would do it, but in the end, if the baby's bathed and dressed, um, that's, that's the point. That was, that's the end goal. How he gets there doesn't have to be done a certain way. So I think that's my huge one for, for moms is surrendering that there's a proper way or there's a right way and let each of you figure out how you're going to do whatever it is, the tasks that need to get done. Something that I talk about a lot in with sleep is that, you know, our babies aren't, you know, they're very attuned. They, they're, they know that there's different expectations with different 
caregivers, right? Like if you nurse to sleep or in dad or grandma or whoever comes in and, you know, they don't have breast milk, they're not going to expect that you nurse them. Right. And so it's going to be a different dynamic, a different expectation. And those are, um, but they have to have that confidence in that uh, we have to allow them to, that took time, right? Like if we were doing it just ourselves for a whole, like six months, even, um, well, we have six months on that, that they don't have. Right. And so that's going to take time for them to establish their own routines and their own patterns and their own predictabilities too. And so I like what you said about like allowing that, allowing them to figure out what they need to and their dynamic and their relationship, because it's just as important as everything that we have established too. It's, it doesn't make it less important. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Thanks. So we have another question here. Uh, it bothers me when my spouse gets mad at my child and he has to settle an upset baby because I need a break. Um, you don't get to be mad. I did this all day. Okay. And so that's a tough one, right? Right. Yeah. So it bothers. So she's saying it as she's bothered when her partner gets mad at the child and, and has to settle um, the upset baby. Um, and so, so she's saying dad is not in a good mood trying to settle a baby. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's what I gathered from it. And then essentially mom is saying, you don't get to be mad because I've done this all day and I had to keep my composure or keep my you know, positive vibes all day. And, and it's just a, a short amount of time. Keep it together. That's right. what she's saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the irony in it all. She's mad about him getting mad. Right. She's saying, I, I'm mad. You're not allowed to be mad, though. Um, and yeah, she might not get mad over. She might think I stay. I hold my myself together. But she's not with her husband. Right. My goal with with parents is really helping them to make a connection between their mental dialogue, their beliefs and and, and what's happening um, and noticing that. Um, it's, it's always about going in and noticing what your own mental dialogue is. What's your belief to realize that that is far more the trigger. That's far more the pain than the situation that you're in. So for instance, you know, uh, you don't get mad. I did this all day. So he's not allowed to get mad. Is that true? Um, everyone is entitled to their feelings. So he's allowed to be mad. What mom needs to do then is decide what she's going to do with that. And if you can allow people to feel what they're feeling, that's exactly what she wants too. You know, everybody wants to be able to feel what they're feeling and not be told they can't feel it or criticized for feeling it. Okay, so that's going to create more tension uh, between them. One of the greatest skills, um, skill sets I teach parents is based on something called nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg. And we talk about this in my online workshops. And one of the things that Marshall really pointed out is that whenever a human being is experiencing an unpleasant emotion, it's an indication that there's an unmet need. You know, both mom and dad here are dealing with unpleasant emotions. So let's deal with, look at dad first. If this is my partner and he's angry about having to settle the baby because I need a break or mom needs a break and he's angry about it. Mom has a choice. She can just allow him to be in his anger and allow him to feel what he's feeling. Um, or she can also decide she's going to get curious and compassionate around this over like, Oh, so I want, I want her to imagine 
that in his anger, it's like, like he's waving like this red flag. You know, imagine this red flag, you know, being waved in the room. And when you see that red flag, it's like there is an unmet need here. So what could dad's unmet need be? Well, I don't know the circumstance, the, the story, but I could guess, I could guess, you know, maybe there's a need for recognition or appreciation uh, for the things that he has done. Maybe there's um, a need for respect. Maybe there's a need for, um, you know, a shared understanding about what he has done. Uh, you know, often men are, you know, being criticized for not participating more. And when they do, they're criticized. Um, and so um, there, you know, there can be a lot going on for him on what's contributing to the anger. It could be some beliefs that he's dealing with, right? So he could have some beliefs over what his role is and what her role is. And, and that's where communication really needs to, to come in. Um, but one of the key things I really want to stress to, to people, and I need to remember this myself constantly too, in particular, if I'm experiencing a negative emotion and my partner is too, if I want him to understand me and hear me, one of the best ways to ensure he does is to make sure I hear him first. Mm. And this goes in any relationship. If you want someone in any relationship that you're in, whether it's a work relationship, a personal relationship, a parent-child relationship, if you want the other person to hear you, then you need to take the time to listen to them first. Because when the other person feels heard, now they can open space to hear you. So my invitation for mom would be to to start getting curious on why dad is mad instead of believing he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. Is that true? Apparently he is. So why are we going to argue with reality? Reality is he is mad. What's going on? You can be compassionate to it. And if you can't, because you're too triggered yourself, then creating space and walk away until you're both not in that emotion would be, would be the next uh, best thing. Um, and sometimes it is required because we just can't communicate effectively when we're both triggered. So, but ultimately the goal then would be to find out what's going on, what's behind the unpleasant emotion, what need of his is not being met. And when you can start recognizing that and empathizing with that and verbalizing to him, you know, the, the unmet need and him, you know, you'll know you get it. Cause whenever you sort of start wondering what's going on for the person and you start speculating, like, are you feeling unappreciated or are you feeling unrecognized for all that you do? Um, you'll know because the, their shoulders will instantly kind of uh, come down and they'll let out a huge breath um, and, and, uh, and, and be willing to make eye contact. Those are sort of the signs when someone feels like they've been heard uh, and then when they're in that space, that's when they're going to be more receptive to hearing. So this is what's going on for me um, and, and sharing what's coming up. Um, and really from a place of sharing of like, I just want to let you know about my life, not from a, let me tell you how my misery is your fault. Right. And because that's key. It's not. We we do walk around with this huge myth in our language that you made me mad or you upset me. Um, what we really need to do is get self-empowered and notice what our thinking is, what our beliefs are that created our emotion. And then for mom, so if she's mad or she's upset about dad being upset, so what's her unmet need? 
You know, it, maybe she's feeling lack of appreciation. Maybe she's feeling lack of worth and value from her spouse because, you know, if this seems to be around her needing a break, maybe she has some, some guilt around wanting a break. Maybe she's assuming that he's thinking she doesn't deserve a break. Who knows? But what I know is that when my husband and I have been, you know, going through t- challenging times, um, what we often find out is that when we take this time to communicate and find out what's really going on under the, the unpleasant emotion, um, we realize that uh, often there's a lot of lack of communication, a lot of misunderstanding um, and mis um, and, and assumptions, poor, you know, inaccurate assumptions, uh, particularly on my part where I've assumed I know what he's thinking. Um, like, why can't you just deal with this yourself? or some other, you know, negative thought. And then I'm reacting to my thoughts on what he's thinking rather than to him. See what I'm saying? So I'm actually not arguing with him. I'm arguing with the mind, the dialogue I've got going on in my head about him. Seems like a lot of wasted energy, you know? Right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this is why communication is so key. And I just have to say one of the best things, my husband and I actually this summer will be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. And, um, you know, (laughs) thank you. It hasn't been easy. Uh, But one of the saving graces for us was in our first year we were married. We weren't even parents, but there was a triggering event that caused us to seek out some counseling and not because we were ready to break up, but because we knew we needed help. And that was those sessions set us off um, on such a positive path because it gave us the dialogue, the ability to communicate far more effectively than doing that stay silent and get stewing and mad. And then, you know, you spew out at your partner and they go, where does this come from? Right. And so um, things like giving each other space, um, asking for time when we need to talk when I'm not triggered um, and, and just checking out. So I have this painful assumption that you're thinking and then share it. And then to find out that, cause I'm sharing it from a place of, I own this painful thought. I'm just checking to see if it's true for you. Right. And nine times out of 10, it never was. And so, but then he can come rather than you think, or you blah, blah. And, you know, sort of coming at it from a, uh, a blame. I'm coming at it from a, I just want to check out that I've got this painful thought that you think I don't deserve a break, or I've got this painful thought that you think men aren't supposed to settle babies and that I'm, I'm a failure as a mom. You know, I've got this painful belief that you have to help because I'm a bad mom. And if I was a better mom, you wouldn't even have to help me. See what I'm saying? So, but it means that you would have to stop being angry at your spouse long enough to go within and figure out what's really going on with me in the first place. You've got to Mm -hmm. own it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I feel like there's some keys to relationship here, some secrets deep dark secrets for (laughs) maintaining those relationships and such challenging times right so key right Right. love it oh I'm so glad we're chatting about this today Jill yeah okay okay Jen so what's the next question so the next one we have is I resent my partner every night when he is sleeping and I'm responding to my child I hate him in these moments and I want to scream at him how can we do this Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, I can relate to this. I I was up with my kids all the time. um, And I, and I have to say, I chose that because I did sit with the whole idea of lying in bed, listening to my husband struggle with screaming kids 
and knew that that would be far more painful for me than, um, than just getting up myself. Uh, but then I had to realize that I had still made that choice to get up and let you know and as a result he would be sleeping so and I, and I understand that but you need to become aware of your thoughts in the moment of being upset in order to free yourself of the suffering so this comes back to what I was saying you are actually suffering with the painful uh, dialogue that's going on in your head your husband's just sleeping um, and so um, he's actually not the cause of your upset it's a trigger to your upset but what is going on what's making you mad um, and questioning what belief are you holding on about this? So for instance, you know, he's sleeping. Um, he shouldn't be sleeping. You know, I should be sleeping instead. What thoughts are going on in your head that's fueling the anger, okay? And then anger is not a bad thing. We really need to, to own our unpleasant emotions and use them as a gift that they are an indicator that there's an unmet need, right? So if I feel triggered, reflexively what our human mind will do is whenever we're feeling unpleasant we don't want to feel unpleasant so think of an unpleasant emotion as like like a hot piece of coal that you're holding on to so think of like your emotions if we don't get conscious the first thing we do is throw it at somebody else right and that usually ha happens that often is our partner right whoever you know is living with us at the time you know it's like well let's see i don't want to feel this way so it's your fault and then we project that onto um, often our partner. So it's using that unpleasant emotion then to say, what is this trying to tell me? What, what's going on here? And using Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, the step would be, what is my unmet need, right? And so when you see him sleeping and you're responding to your child, what need do you have um, that's not being addressed? And, and again, I wanna reiterate that we, we explore all of these skills and the way of doing this in my online workshops. I have one for um, parents of younger children. I have one um, for parents of tweens and teens. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the age of your kids. It's still the same work you need to do, um, figuring out what's behind this emotion. And it takes skill, it takes awareness. And I, and I teach that to, to parents when they, when they join the workshop. So um, you can explore that more um, if, if any of your, your clients or, or our listener and my listeners here want to explore that more, be sure to check out my website at chillmcpherson.com. So what's the next question? So uh, we disagree on what works for our child right now. And my spouse is always trying to teach my baby how to settle in new ways. And it's so frustrating for me. This one's interesting for me um, because it comes up a lot, obviously, in sleep. Like if we've, again, I think we've touched on it a little bit, but if if a mom has figured out something that works for the baby and they're doing, like they have their own jive. It's, and, and I don't love the word teach. It's a little bit triggering for me too, if, if I'm being honest. So um, yeah, what do you think about that? I'm wondering if it's that dad wants to try to have baby settle in a different way than mom. And if I had to guess, not knowing this story, but let's just make something up. So we have a, you know, kind of a context a little bit more. It could be that mom's doing the nursing and coddling and maybe even lying down to do the sleep thing. Um, and maybe dad wants to like put baby down. So baby puts him or herself to sleep. Let's, let's say that, that that's what's happening. Um, and, it, and it's so frustrating. Again, it's going to come down to, to communication for this mom. And so if dad is going to do bedtime routine, if you've agreed that this is what's going to happen, 
then co-creating a plan around that. And part of that might be that dad needs to do bedtime routine differently. Dad needs to put baby down differently than you. Um, and if it's not okay with how, how dad's doing it, then it comes down to deciding, okay, so this is going to be my area, then how else can dad contribute instead if it isn't going to work? Um, because there's always other ways that dad can, you know, contribute. So uh, for instance, you know, I always did the bedtime routine, you know, then I would say to my husband, while I'm doing this, could you please finish up the kitchen, cleaning up the kitchen? Could you do, you know, help with the older one getting homework done or home reading done? Or can you do this and this for me while I'm doing this? Because we both agreed that I was the expert at getting them to bed and to sleep. And, um, and that wasn't his area of competency. So what could he do? He could do other things so that when I did have bedtime routine done, then we could meet. Um, and when he didn't, then there'd be more frustration because, you know, he'd be ready to go to bed. And I'm like, well, I still have 10 things on my list to do. So I'll see you in an hour. And so we needed to communicate about that of like, if you want me to join you and come to bed, you know, if we can go to bed at the same time, the only way I can do that is if you do a, B, and C while I'm putting, you know, kids to bed. Um, I could have chosen the other where I let him do bedtime routine his way, but you need to pick which is, you know, works better. And for me, it was more painful for, for me to surrender bedtime for multiple reasons. Um, not so much even how he did it, but emotionally I needed it. I wanted to do bedtime for connection and where he didn't have that same needs. So I was getting my needs met and he was getting his needs met as far as finding other ways to be helpful and contribute to the bedtime routine. Right. So again, it comes back to communication. And do you know what, Jill, that actually triggered another kind of question for me um, that I wanted to ask you about, because it does come up quite a bit for me is when two parents don't agree you know, I practice supporting parents to help their children with sleep without sleep training. Um, but often, I, I mean, what comes up quite a bit is that, you know, dads see the, the mom struggling. And so then they want to resort to something different. And that might look like sleep training. And now we have both parents kind of trying to figure out some happy medium there. Um, but really, it's just that mom's feeling like I can't, leave you alone to let you do like bedtime or whatever, because you're just going to leave baby to cry. And that's not how I want to parent. And dad's like, well, I don't want all of this stuff. Let's just try it for a few nights. And so I see a lot of um, walls put up when it comes to this topic. And, and it's, it's a pretty hot one in my practice. So I was wondering um, what are your thoughts on that? And if you could, um, shed some light in that kind of area if you if you don't mind okay so what I hear though in that like you know for instance your example was dad wants to do something more around say sleep training um, I hear a man who deeply cares for his partner and wants a solution to take her out of pain right so that is what we need to focus on is is the 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 love and intention is there what he needs to become aware of is that the means in which he's trying to accomplish this isn't effective. In a relationship, if the, if the means in which we're trying to get a goal accomplished is not working, then it's coming back to, okay, so what though is the intention here? The intention is love and connection, right? So coming back to um, listening that if 
you know, if you need my help and I offer a help that isn't help to you, why would I keep using that same strategy? I need to back up and go, okay, so I see that you're suffering and that you're challenged with this. What do you need from me? What can I do to help? I know men have this desire to, to rescue and to try to come in and, you know, be Superman and save the day uh, because, you know, in Hollywood, Superman never has to be told how to save the day. He just knows how to save the day. Right. So men want to be the Superman in their woman's lives. And that doesn't mean getting, you know, Cole's notes version of what to do. Um, they want to just come in and, and save the day. Um, but ultimately we also need to train our men that the best way you can save the day is to hold space for me when I'm upset, to you know, hold me when I cry and to listen to me. And then from the place of listening, he can either take action from what he's heard or check in. So, so what do you need from me? And, and I have found even in my, in my own marriage that nine times out of 10, the best thing my husband can do is listen. And often he doesn't actually carry out any sort of behavioral action, except maybe hug me right? Or say something like, I hear this is tough. You know, do you need anything from me? Um, and sometimes, yes, I'll say, yeah, actually I need, and then I'll say, but a lot of times I realize when he says, you know, validates my struggles and, and, uh, you know, gives me that hug and reassurance often says something about, you know, what a great mom I am. Um, and, you know, what can I do? I often find there's lots of times um, I don't actually need him to do anything at that point because he's done it. He's, yeah, you he's, just needed somebody to help you breathe for a minute. Like, yeah. 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 And huh. you remember, like, it, you know this in your practice. If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. So one of the best things to do is to get mom calm and grounded. And my guess is baby's soon going to start sleeping pretty well. Um, not always the case, depending on what the cause of, you know, baby's upset and not getting um, settled. Um, but the number one thing we can do is make sure mom is calm and settled. And the one that's one thing that dad can do really well if he knows how to. Um, but coming in and saying, okay, this isn't working, so I'm going to come in and change it, not only can be a behavioral strategy that is not in alignment with mom, but indirectly, he's also saying, you didn't do it right, so now I have to fix it. And I feel like a lot of anxiety from it too, right? Like, it's almost like, whew, like, what are you going to do? I don't know if I like this. I don't like, this is, this is not how I want to parent. This is not working for me. I don't, I don't want you to do that. That's not what I needed. Like what you said, I just, I just need you to listen and hold me right. for a minute or let's, let's work through this together. Maybe that is getting more resources or more information or and talking right. through those communication pieces for sure. Yeah. yeah. So just really Thanks, also Jill. empathizing with dad that he is, he's doing what he believes is right. Cause I, you know, his intention I'm sure is lovely that he wants to take his wife out of suffering. He wants his baby to get to sleep. So he's trying to, you know, sort of fix the problem and not knowing that the best way you can do that is just to support your moms. Because my experience is most moms, if there's a baby crying that they can't get to sleep I don't know any mom that does not at some level interpret that as a failure as a mom doesn't take that behavior personally you know at some point yeah. hopefully you know there does come a point and it, it did come for me when my children crying um, you know my baby's crying I didn't you know always fall into the trap of taking it personally and being triggered by it um, but it was you know a crying baby is a huge trigger um, for for moms so keep that in mind.
Yeah, totally, for sure. Thanks, Jill. Um, should partners share the load? So for example, one sleeps in on Saturday and one sleeps in on Sunday. What are your thoughts about this and sharing the load? And uh, yeah. yeah, what do you think about Yeah, that? and I think, yeah, we've touched a little bit about this already as far as, you know, that, that again takes communication. It figures out how to, you know, for should they share? Absolutely. But the how is what each couple has to figure out what works best for one couple doesn't necessarily work for the other. That's why in any of my, you know, parenting workshops, I never tell the rules or the do's and don'ts do this, you know, do this and don't do that. It's about what beliefs bring you, you know, love and peace and joy, and then communicating and creating behaviors from that. Um, so it, this is an example of couples just needing to sit down and figure out how it can feel more um, equitable between the two of them around, particularly around sleep and, and not to make assumptions um, that the other partner, you know, knows what you're thinking or knows why you're upset or knows that, you know, well, you should just know if I got up Saturday morning, then you should get up Sunday morning or, you know. Um, really coming out, coming back again over and over. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it needs to, it does require um, open communication without, you know, with, with being able to hear the other person's perspective without, you know, taking a judgment or, or from a place of, well, then you're criticizing me or you disagree with me, listening to each other's opinions and then working through how can we, you know, make this work so that both, so it works for for both of us um and i just wanted to add in here you know this this question uh makes me realize that th this is an ongoing thing to talk about because um i now have three teenagers and a 21 year old and because of covid the 21 year old had to come back to finish her post-secondary at home so i have all four of them at home and i still have a bedtime routine with them they might not even realize it um, but my bedtime routine is going around to each of them at night in their room and checking in and that might be a, just a you know hey good night and all of like three to five seconds and sometimes when you know, they look up uh, from their from their book their screen whatever it is that they're doing and going on and um and I, and I look at them to see, you know, it, do they need to talk? And sometimes bedtime routine can turn into almost two hours by the time I get around to everybody. And so I can still get triggered over what I would call, you know, the sleep inequity between my husband and I, because he goes to bed and I'll, you know, I'll show up, I'll crawl into bed at midnight or something uh, because I was, you know, I spent an hour um, consoling a, a teenager over poor grade or a broken relationship or, you know, something, something's going on that's stressing them out and they needed my time. Um, but I also have to keep repeating to myself that I have chosen this. I could choose. They don't, they don't, they don't physically need me anymore. They don't need me to, to help them get changed or, you know, um, brush their teeth or anything like that. They can do their own physical care bedtime routine themselves. But I cho have chosen to do this for connection with them. For me to be upset with my husband who chooses to go to bed, um, there's no, uh, that would be a little crazy on my part because he connects with them in different ways. He connects with them when he's not tired um, and, and, uh, and in different contexts. So this is my way of staying connected with them. So I know it's a little bit off the tangent, there's a tangent there from your question, but it just made me, I just really want to say to your clients and to my list that this is an ongoing thing. This isn't, you know, what will be done when the kids can put themselves to bed. Um, it, this could be an ongoing thing that you need to communicate. And so my husband has to accept that sometimes I will come to bed quite late, 
because I will not go to bed until I know all four of them are, are doing okay. So um, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I feel like my heart exploded. Like this is like all of the reason why we do everything that we do. And it just like, that was just so heartwarming to hear and, and lovely to hear. And I, I such a valid point. It's not like we're, we're doing these bedtime um, routines and this special connection time with our kids before bed that serves a purpose for, you know, many years. It's not just right now. And, um, oh my goodness, I love that. I was like getting emotional when you're telling it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still love being a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. I think we have two questions left here. So um, question about lack of sleep and ourselves as mothers. So I have so much anxiety about missing a nap or nap not going well. What can I do? Um, This comes up a lot in my practice and a lot of um, what I help moms work through for sure. And so I think that's important one to touch on. Yeah. I I used to have this too. I used to, you know, when my, um, when I just had the two and they were, you know, two and four, my oldest ones, um, you know, I would put that have the one in, in, you know, the bed for a nap. And then the, the older one, I, you know, I'd plunk her in front of the TV with, you know, a, a drink or something and say, you know, stay here. Mommy's just going to lie down for a few minutes, but don't come unless, you know, basically unless the house was on fire, she was not to come and wake me up. And if she did, Oh, sometimes I could just get so enraged. And um, what I end up really exploring is again, it's going to come back to when you're anger or angered or triggered, what's going on for you right now. And I remember thinking like, you know, I'm so behind in sleep and I'll never get caught up. And this was my chance. And now I've lost my chance. And now I'm enraged about not getting enough sleep, thinking that I'm going to be a cranky mom. And then I become a cranky mom thinking about being a cranky mom. And it just sort of turns into this like vicious, you know, painful cycle of, of, of painful thoughts going on in my head. And one of the best ways I got, you know, sort of broken out of this trap was uh, one time when I took a workshop and it was all about um, our, not only our beliefs, but one of them was a beliefs about sleep. And I know we can all be um, pretty attached to um, the idea that, you know, we, you know, the research says, you know, we talked about this in our last podcast together, Jen, about the research says how many hours of sleep a child, well, the research also keeps telling us how much sleep we need. And then we can get really hooked into that. So for instance, say you are hooked into the belief that at some point in 24 hours, I need eight of them to be sleep. Um, and then you don't get that. You can be far more upset about your belief that you're not getting enough sleep than whether or not you're getting enough sleep. So here's an example. And I, I catch myself still doing this. Sometimes I will stop and say, and, and do like a mental inventory over like, if I think say I've been woken up too soon, or I didn't get the nap I wanted, or, you know, that kind of thing, I can stop and, and I find myself, I do a mental inventory over the past, say two or three days, how much sleep did I get? If I decide that that wasn't enough sleep, then suddenly I feel tired. But if I decide, oh, actually, wait a second. Well, yesterday I got a nap and then the night before was actually a pretty good night. Yeah. So actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Right. So, again, yeah, so it's the mindset. Right? It's such a yeah. mindset. It's so important that we become aware so we can get in control of how we feel emotionally than the actual amount of minutes or hours we sleep. Back to this, this mom about, you know, have anxiety over missing a nap. 
I would say that most of her anxiety is attached to a belief that she does require a certain amount of sleep um, in order to function. And when you're attached to that belief, then you're, you're, you are going to get triggered if you don't get that amount of sleep. My invitation would be to open, be, uh, invite her to be open to, um, is that true? Could you sometimes function fine with less sleep? Um, and trust that, you know, it'll all work out eventually. You know, one of my most peaceful thoughts for myself was, oh, I'm not getting a nap now. It'll all work out. I'll get enough sleep eventually. I think a lot of my families are worried about if their kid like misses that nap, like if they're like, oh, this needs to be a scheduled and, and now, you know, we've missed a nap in the day and that's going to be pretty anxiety provoking. Um, but I think that those points are very on par with that. Like, is that going to impact us as much? Um, or, you know, can we make up for this later? Can we still get out of our house today, even though they might not nap in the car kind of thing? So I don't think it's the, I don't think it's everything, right? Like, I don't think missing, missing a nap is going to be the end of the world. I think it just, um, it's the mindset for sure that goes around it. Okay. Yeah. So good point. So, right. It's the same applies to whether we're talking about mom missing a nap or kids missing a nap. Um, if we're, you know, so set on, they need this certain amount of time to sleep or they need a, a nap for this long, or if they miss their nap, they're not going to function well. That thought can create far more anxiety than the actual, you know, reality that's happening. So um, whether we're talking about mom's nap or kids naps, um, really noticing how much it's our thinking about naps and how it should go. That's creating far more anxiety than the reality. Totally. Love yeah. it. I can't. Okay, I, any last questions? Really, there's uh, one last one here. I feel angry with my baby and all the night wakings, knowing all the things I have to do in the morning. This is not their fault, but what can I do? And so this comes up a lot with me. Like, there, again, there's many reasons why our children wake up in the night. Um, one of the main ones being that it's a safety mechanism. So it's pretty important. Um, but that can be, you know, again, going into those mindsets and those um, worries, right? So, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get enough sleep. Um, I'd be in the morning. What do you think about this, Jill? Yeah. And again, it's, I, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it comes to managing your thoughts over, I'm not going to be able to function in the morning. Well, is that true? Well, you will. And Try to keep it, keep yourself calm by also functioning over what do I need to do right now in this moment, rather than thinking about the, the long list of things you have to do tomorrow. Um, staying calm over, even if you're up in the night and you feel like this is going to compromise your, your functioning the next day, just reassure yourself that you are going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And, you know, I just need to do one thing at a time and really minimizing or only narrowing down to think about what you need to do in this moment. And right now in this moment, um, if you're, you know, if your baby's up, you're dealing with your baby and knowing and really taking those moments of tomorrow's going to be fine. You know, what I need to do in the morning, I'll, I'll be able to do it in the morning. It's going to, it's going to be fine. You'll get calmer, baby gets calmer and you'll be highly uh, more functional in getting those tasks done. So really, again, this is coming back to being very aware of our thinking and then getting control over that, you know, crazy monkey mind 
um, and calming ourselves so that we can function from a place of, of calm rather than from, you know, upset or anxiety. Children are, I always say, our greatest spiritual teachers. Um, and one of their jobs is to, uh, that they're here is to help us learn how to control our minds. I like that. And it's for sure way easier said than done, right? Like it takes time. It takes some, takes some practice. It takes some deep, um, deep work in ourselves for sure. Yeah. Oh, I loved all of that. That's super helpful for all the families. I think we touched on so many questions that come up so frequently in sleep. And I think what I like to remind families is that you're not alone in this, right? Like, so you're not Mm -hmm. the only one that's feeling these things um, having to work through a process. I think it's, um, part of the, part of the role and, and kind of, uh, the work that kind of goes along with it. Um, so thanks so much, Jill. Yeah, great. Um, I also want to, um, add in if, if any of your listeners and my listeners are looking for some good resources, I really appreciated, um, the book, getting the love you want by Harville and, and Helen Hendricks, um, that can help with, uh, working on some communication skills. And uh, presently, my husband and I are actually reading together uh, Hold Me Tight uh, by Dr. Sue Johnson. And um, it's been great in showing how we can kind of get into these communication traps, uh, you know, like a dysfunctional, painful communication trap and how to break yourself out of it. Um, So those are two resources that your listeners and my listeners may want to want to keep in mind. And I want to thank you, Jen, then for reaching out to me with these questions. Um, I, I really appreciate it. I think this has been a great discussion. And, and hopefully this isn't our last, uh, our podcast, <laughs> podcast number two together. Who knows? Uh, if we'll be, maybe we'll be back again. Yay. I hope so, too. Thanks, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And so for all the moms listening and for the dads listening, our hope is that um, it has given you insight into your own struggles with the challenges around how to be supportive and how to be more effective uh, in participating in issues around bedtime, sleep or lack of sleep in your home. And if you have any further questions on this topic, please feel free to reach out to Jen at heartfeltslumber.com or myself at jillmcpherson.com. If you're wanting to explore and learn more about the communication skills I spoke about in today's podcast, then be sure to check out my online parenting workshops at jillmcperson.com. I have an online four-week workshop called Small Hands, Big Challenges for parents of children approximately ages four to 10, and another called Stay Connected with Teens for parents of tweens and teens. Each of these are one evening a week and run for one month. The May sessions are now open for registration, so be sure to go to my website at jillmcperson.com to register. And I also offer the Peaceful Parenting Program for parents who want more ongoing support in using the knowledge and skills they learned in the workshop, or even if you didn't participate in a workshop, you can join us every Tuesday night on Zoom. I'm available to answer your parenting questions right on the spot, so you can begin to effectively address any problem you're having right away, This is a monthly subscription program that is definitely the most economical way to go. And don't forget, you can also request to join my Facebook group, Awaken Parenting, so you can read tips, articles, and ask questions, along with other caring and conscientious parents who are seeking ways to be the best parents they can be. And in the meantime, do you have a parenting question or questions that you would like me to answer in my next podcast? 
then please email me at jillmcpersonyes at gmail.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awaken Parenting.